it is time to pray thy kingdom come on earth. It's time to open up our eyes, expand our horizon and our vision and say, God, please interject in our society. Bring back moral standards. Bring back spiritual standards for our society. Allow us to be godly men and women who live for you day by day by day by day. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Today our scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, and we're reading verses 9 through 13. Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13, and you'll find it on page 1504, 1504 of the Church Bible. If you worship with us each week, you'll be aware that over the last few weeks we have been steadily working our way through the Lord's Prayer. And today we are focusing on your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're beginning Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading of His Holy Word. Most of us this past week have been filing our tax returns for this past year, and because it's that time of year, I have been receiving by email a number of accountant jokes. So, accountants, please forgive me. Each time I chat with an accountant, I ask them, give me a good accountant jokes, because they often have the best. And this one reads like this. A businessman was interviewing applicants for the position of divisional manager. He devised a simple test to select the most suitable person for the job. He asked each applicant the same question. What is two and two? The first interviewee was a journalist, and she answered, 22. The second was a social worker, and he said, I don't know the answer, but I'm glad we had time to discuss this very important question. The third applicant was an engineer. She pulled out a slide rule and showed the answer to be between 3.99 and 4.001. The next person was a lawyer. He stated that in the case of Jenkins versus Connors in a case relating to stamp duties, two and two was proven, in fact, to be four. The last applicant was an accountant. The businessman asked him, how much is two and two? The accountant got up from his chair, went over to the door, closed it, came back, sit down, sat down, and whispered, how much would you like it to be? 
the accountant was offered the job. <laughs> when I ask six and seven-year-olds what do they want to be when they grow up, there are two classifications of jobs they don't say. They never say an accountant, and they never say a pastor. And I can understand why. But they will often say this, a nurse, a doctor, a policeman, a fireman. Because I think even at that age of six and seven, they have that overall sense that serving, helping, and making an impact really matters. And this morning, as we get further and further into the Lord's Prayer, the question is, when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, what kind of impact will the kingdom of God on earth make in a 21st century environment? That's the question. Over the last 18 months or so, we have been busy as a church applying all of the lessons we have learned from the previous three years when we looked at our strategic plan. Now, as we were putting together a strategic plan, we asked a myriad of questions. Some of them were fairly straightforward and simple. Number one, what is it that defines us as a church? What is it that defines us? Number two, as a church, what are our core values? What are the things that are strategically important to us? And over the last couple of weeks, as we've got further and further into the Lord's Prayer, what we've discovered afresh, with a sense of renewed energy and vitality and vigor, is our prayerful relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. And on our first Sunday together, we spent a fair bit of time looking at our Father. And what did that mean to be able to climb up into the heart of God Himself and to rest there and abide there? And what did true, authentic, credible prayer look like? Prayer that allows us to rest in Him, to find His forgiveness, to seek His renewing grace, and a touch of His love in order that we could live out our lives in the busyness and demands and distractions of a 21st century environment. And that's where we've been the last couple of weeks. Now, today, we go a little further, and we're looking at the phrase, not so much thy kingdom come, as we touched on it last week, and we said, when we pray thy kingdom come, we are in essence asking for the rule and reign of God to be living and active in our own lives. Now, let me say that again, because it's easy to miss it. Our prayer is of the magnitude that we are asking that the rule and reign of God would be a living reality in our own lives. And today we're taking a step further. 
We're saying not only thy kingdom come, but thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does it mean to pray, thy kingdom come on earth? Now, Jesus didn't put those words in there simply as a redundant phrase, simply as something to kind of say as a nice gesture. So, when we pray, thy kingdom come on earth, what does that look like? Now, hold that thought, and allow me to do what we did back in January and towards the end of last year. We pause for a moment, examine the context we live in in this 21st century environment, and ask, how do we live out our faith today? Now, let me explain what I mean when I'm talking about culture, because I want to spend the next 10 minutes looking at the culture we live in and why sociologists, New Testament scholars, many others who live in academia are telling us that we now live in a secularized age. So, bear with me, and let me give you a couple of definitions. Sociologists would say, and let me read it from my notes, I don't want to get this wrong, would say that culture is the shared beliefs, values, conventions, and practices of a society in which we are taking the raw material and experience of everyday life and rearranging that raw material and experiences to express meaning that is good, true, valuable, real, and important in our lives. That's what culture does. It takes day-to-day -day experiences, it presents them in a meaningful fashion that is valuable, significant, good, helpful, healthy, wholesome, and so on. Same sociologists are telling us this, that there is a creeping secularization of society in the United States, but it's no longer creeping. 25 years ago, it was creeping. Today, it's a living reality. And they tell us this, secularization of a culture is a process by which religious ideas, institutions, and interpretations have lost their social significance. Now, let me say that again, because there's a lot there. The secularization of a culture is a process by which religious ideas, institutions, and interpretations have lost their social significance. Three, yeah, three years ago this Easter, Easter Sunday morning, I was up early Sunday mornings, as I am most Sunday mornings, opened up my laptop, clicked on uh, the sermon I had prepared for the day to finally go over it before coming into the office around seven, and I clicked on Google. And on Easter Sunday morning, three years ago, Google had for their theme and their focus for that day a communist who had died in 1910 or 1911 on Easter Sunday. And they had so many complaints the following Easter, they changed back to an Easter theme. 
There was rabbits and bunnies and daffodils and spring. I wouldn't expect for a second Google to do something remotely religious, but they did at least go with a spring and an Easter theme. And what was going on there was this. The secularization of a culture by which religious ideas, institutions, and interpretations have lost their significance. We live in the southeast. And if you live in the southeast and you're new to this area, new to Greenville, inevitably when you get into a conversation with someone, they're going to ask you, where did you come from? And how long have you lived in Greenville? And then there will be three additional questions. Who do you work for? Where do you live? And where do you worship? That third question will be redundant in New York City and Baltimore and Detroit and Boston, New York State, in Maine, New England. In San Francisco, San Diego, further north on the west coast as you move towards Portland and Oregon and Washington State, that third question would be considered odd to ask. Fifty years ago, it would not have been thought odd. But the rapid, aggressive secularization of a culture is fully underway. And folks, allow me to say this without being an alarmist. And I trust that you know me well enough to say that every Sunday I'm not an alarmist. But please hear me when I say this. There is a culture war taking place in our nation for the heart and mind and soul of our society. There is no question about it. Coming from Western Europe. It arrived in Western Europe about 20, 25 years ago, and when I first moved to Greenville, I thought the United States was about 15 years behind Western Europe. Today, I would estimate it's nearer six or seven years behind Western Europe in terms of a secularization of the culture. No question. The Google is a prime example of what takes place. Happy holidays creeping in over the last few years. The White House no longer talking of Christmas, but holidays. And it's happening everywhere. So how do we respond to a creeping secularization? Because when you take a stance on a moral or a spiritual issue, you will be considered mean, narrow-minded, judgmental, and somehow hateful. The secular worldview says this, we are mature, sophisticated adults, able to set our own moral and spiritual boundaries, and no one else has the right to tell us otherwise. There is no moral or spiritual boundaries. As mature, educated, sophisticated adults, we can set our own moral and spiritual boundaries. And when someone tells me that as a society, we can set our own moral and spiritual values, I sometimes ask two questions. And the first question is this, do you lock your door at night when you go to bed? 
Because if you lock your door at night, you do not trust the society that sets its own moral and spiritual values. Secondly, when you pull into a parking lot downtown or a supermarket or wherever, a public parking lot, do you lock your car doors? And if you do, you don't trust the society who's supposed to be mature, adult-like in their thinking, and sophisticated in their moral and spiritual values. The secular society will say there is no moral or spiritual boundaries. Continue to live any way you wish. And as Christian people, we say no. There are absolutes. Some things are sacred. Human life is sacred. When someone goes into a shopping mall or a school with an automatic weapon and kills others, we are horrified. We are outraged because they've taken human life and brought misery and chaos and violence to people. We're outraged. There are moral and spiritual values. We believe not only is life sacred, marriage is sacred. We believe there is such a thing as character and integrity, and holiness, and righteousness, and honesty, and prayer, and a transforming belief in the living God whose influence in our society is crucial and important and essential if we are ever to be the people God has called us to be. And if we are to live out our lives in a 21st century environment, our prayer is, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And folks, if we do not take a stand for Christian moral values and spiritual values, our culture and our society is about to leap off the edge into the abyss. Into the abyss. There comes a time to pray, Thy kingdom come on earth. On earth. And that's what we're praying for when we utter such a prayer. As Christian people, we also believe that sin is dark debilitating and ugly, and it damages and it demeans and it cripples everyone and everything it comes into contact with. But a secularized society will tell you there is no such thing as sin. And why will he tell you there is no such thing as sin, no such thing as moral values, no such thing as spiritual values? Because once you marginalize them, once you minimize them, once you dismiss them, you no longer have to live up to those standards. That's why secularized society has been welcomed because there is no desire for standards of any kind. That's the ultimate game because you are out from under any kind of standard or judgment, and that is what is taking place. And as Christian people, when we pray Thy kingdom come on earth. We want to see it in the place where we spend most of our working days. We want to see moral and spiritual values in 
ethics and medicine and education and law and politics. What would you give for 24 hours of honesty in the media when it comes to fake news? Good night, it's appalling. And when they're called out on it, they become annoyed. Honesty, integrity matter. If something didn't happen, don't say it happened. Don't create stuff. Don't be full of fake news. But honesty and integrity and holiness, righteousness matter. And they matter in education and retail and finance and the place where we spend most of our working day. Because hear this, when we say, thy kingdom come on earth, we begin with ourselves, and we model it for our children, and we model it for our grandchildren, and we model it for our neighborhood, and we model it when we serve in the PTA. We model it when we are coach on a basketball team, or a baseball team, or a soccer mom. We model it. And when we model it, we do it with grace, and we do it with winsomeness, and we do it in an attractive manner that Christ would have us do. And then people say, wait a minute, what is different about them? What have they got I don't have? And that's where the kingdom comes to pass right there. We are a society today which listens with its eyes and thinks with its feelings. And as long as something appeals to the senses, we should go ahead and do it. We have lost the ability to blush. We have lost the ability to be embarrassed and blush over moral issues. We are a culture without a sense of shame. Our parents and our grandparents would be spinning in their grave if they watched television today. And when we pray, thy kingdom come, we are looking for godliness. We are looking for sanctity and sanity in our cultural life. Is there any more important prayer today? Thy kingdom come, Father, begin with me, beginning my family, beginning my school, beginning my office, beginning my society, and in my state, and in my region, and across our nation. Folks, please hear this. We are now at the aging stage where we believe that secularism is equivalent to a tsunami, and there is nothing we can do to push back against it. Please, please hear me. Never, ever, ever accept that caricature, because the gospel has always pushed back against a society with no moral standards and no spiritual standards. When the twelve on that first day of Pentecost was impacted and transformed by the Holy Spirit, in 300 years the entire Roman Empire was declared to be Christian. Just before the dawn is the darkest hour, 
And when we pray, thy kingdom come, that's what we mean. When we say, give us this day our daily bread, we are saying, Father, I need provisions for today. I need sustenance. I need energized. I need strengthened. Give it to us today. We cannot live off the spiritual blessings of 50 years ago or 25 years ago or when the church was at its greatest but we are called to take a Christian stance and do so in a godly, winsome manner that is attractive and transformational. And it is time to pray, Thy kingdom come on earth. It's time to open up our eyes, expand our horizon and our vision, and say, God, please interject in our society. Bring back moral standards. Bring back spiritual standards for our society. Allow us to be godly men and women who live for you day by day by day by day. When we pray that kind of prayer, then we're making a difference, then that's the kind of people our children and our grandchildren will want to grow up to be. Thy kingdom come on earth. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the challenge that lies before us this morning. Enable us, please, O oh God, to be men and women with godly standards, with moral and supernatural and spiritual values that put Christ at the center of our lives. Father, save us, please, from focusing on ourselves and enable us to be Christ-like in our daily working environment as we raise our children, as we seek to be salt and light in this society. Father, hear our prayer, for we implore you, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And together the people of God said, Amen.